You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. You're listening to Inside Real Estate, where we go deep into the minds of real estate professionals. Here are your hosts, Paul and Sal. What's up, everyone? Uh, Paul Paslak is here. Uh, we've got Mr. Kevin Keck on Yo. the show. How are you, sir? Uh, do pretty good. Yeah, Kevin Keck, so everybody knows, is an appraiser. Uh, he also has a real Anime. estate license. So. He dabbles in a lot of things. Great hair. For those of you that can see on Facebook <laughs> Live, I mean, yeah. that thing is is a great poof up there, man. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Do you blow dry that? It's all air dry. Air dried. Okay, good. That's good to know. <laughs> so today we'll talk a little bit about, obviously, appraisals. Um, we'll talk a little bit about you know what's going on in the market. Is the housing market overheating, guys? I think we should start talking about that. Um, tariffs, uh, how could that potentially affect our market? I think that's, you know, could be like something that happens. Uh, also there's an article that, uh, talks about more, more Americans are quitting their jobs and what possibly that means, which is interesting. I quit. Uh, and yeah, then there's that right now. What's that? You just quit right now. You're going to quit. Yeah. I quit, Paul. You don't have a job. That's true. Yeah, you just do. You must do things. <laughs> yeah. So let, let's start with Kevin. Uh, we'll get to those topics here in a minute. But Kevin, tell us a little bit about your background. I mean, how did you get? I mean, you do a lot of appraisals, dude. <laughs> I do do a lot. Of how appraisals. many appraisals a month do you do? Uh, usually on the average month, I'd be say between about eighty to hundred. I don't even know how oh, that's shit. possible. Whoa. Uh, whoa. <laughs> I, didn't, I was not expecting uh, that number. That's a lot. That's an overt reaction. Yeah, um, that's a lot of appraisals. I was thinking fifty was a lot. Yeah, I mean, usually. Days end up around ten o'clock typing. Yeah, um, it's just a good process I have. So is, for the audience, well, first of all, give everybody your background. How did you get into appraising? Uh, well, kind of just fell into it through college. Um, my mom was doing it for twenty years, so I kind of was working with her for a while, and then I just seemed to keep going. And um, when I was doing research in the market, I kind of noticed the average age of appraiser was fifty six years old at the right. time. So seeing that for me, which is a good opportunity. Average age is 56 at that time. At that time. So it's actually gone up. I think it's around uh, 58 now. Okay. So it just, I'm pretty young for an appraiser. So. Uh, tell everybody how old you are. I'm 29. 29. Yeah. All right. That's oh, pretty yeah. good. Yeah, you're, you're, you're a freshie. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So. But you've probably done as many appraisals as that 58-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess some, some appraisers do about 200 a year. I guess I would say that's pretty common for an appraiser. But uh, So you do 200 in like three months. Yeah. Yeah. Easily. It's It's... It's kind of crazy. So for you, I mean, you are on the road a lot, yes. you know, and you're, you're you're going to house to house, um, and it, it, it I mean, an, an appraisal is actually pretty in depth. I mean, if you've ever, and anybody's got a, a, ever gotten an appraisal report, there's a lot of information on there. Right? Oh yeah. So how do you manage doing that many appraisals and 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 trying to do them accurately? You know what I mean? Like, how do you do all that? Um, it just every everything's the same on every single one. You know, just do the same processes, talk to the same assessors. Go to the same sites. It's just once you have a consistent model of, of doing these reports, it's just repeating it over and over again, right? To maintain right. that consistency. So, so um, just so the audience knows, a lot of times the appraisers in the transaction of buying a house are kind of uh, um, they're not really like uh, loved. Would be the point. It's <laughs> a great uh, point. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, from your perspective, and this is a crazy market because I feel like home prices are almost outpacing the information to, to, to give the appraisers the proper information to appraise them, right? Like like a house could be like on the market when you're doing an appraisal for like 
4% more than what you're appraising for, mm-hmm. but you can't look at that, can you? Yeah. So when we look at things, we look at exposure time. So we look at it as it's on the market 30 days prior, basically. That's a good generalization. Sometimes like a 10 days prior, but um, 30 days is a good indicator of like we're in the past where realtors or brokers, you're always looking in the future. Like where is this market going? Right. Um, we do see some market like appreciations through the like where the listings are going, but typically we are looking in the past for these appraisals. Right. So, so in your opinion, how do you how do you solve for that? Because I mean, be, there is a disconnect. I mean, it, it is yeah. tough to keep up with the market, especially as, with the 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 inflated prices are happening right now. Yeah, I mean, right now we're seeing obviously with the houses when they go on the market, they're sitting for two two days at the most. And so, yeah, and let's say Royal Oak. You know, yep. you have hours to make an offer and you get accepted. Correct. Um, so how do we account for that kind of demand? It's it's tough. Is that you need to find some kind of sales in the area that have sold within hopefully the past three years to be able to pull out that yearly appreciation. Um, to you can then use those to apply um, time adjustments on the appraisal report. But what we see is that a lot of appraisers are actually kind of afraid to do a time adjustments. Um, let's just say, I mean, obviously most appraisers are pretty, they went through the crash yeah. and with those appreciation adjustments, they got really hammered, <laughs> right? You know, they lost, uh, work because of it and all, all. so, well, they crashed the whole market. Yeah, it's all their fault. Yeah. Yeah. It's all the appraisers <laughs> fault. You know, <laughs> how often do you hear that? Um, not too often, you know, obviously. No, it's usually our fault. We're the loan officers, right? Yeah. So, the banks. We, we, we yeah. screwed it all up. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, obviously the appraisers got kind of thrown under the bus. After the crash, um, but obviously, I think there was some pressures they were under. Yeah. Well, just so the Probably audience under- from, uh, <laughs> from from loan officers and real estate yeah. agents. So, just so everybody understands, back in the day when I started in the business, we actually I could talk to an appraiser during a transaction. I could say, "Hey, dude, we got a." Uh, I was young, so we I used to do this. Right? I didn't know any better. I was like, "Hey, man, got to get that two hundred k appraisal. <laughs> I need it. We got to get you know a lot of it was refinancing, so like." Yo, man, I need that equity, right? Like yeah. they're, they're pulling cash out, and they're like, "All right, man, let me see what I can do." And all sure shit, we got a, a appraised value back where we needed it, right? Mm-hmm. Today, so the audience understands, we as loan officers cannot talk to you in a transactional kind of capacity. It's illegal for us to really communicate with you. Yeah, we obviously we we can't talk with you. Um, but you know, on the other side, the realtors, we do try to help. You know, if you give us a call. You want to talk about properties? We would. We I always love those calls. You do. I do. Okay. Um, you know, sometimes when you go to houses, there's things that you can't see that are hidden. Um, it's hard to really get the. You know, is your roof three years old or is it fifteen? Right. Um, windows. Uh, you know, determining the age of a window is. You look at them. If you don't see any kind of damage, you're just like, well, it's there. They're average. Yeah. Um, so if you can give me those kind of like key points of information on, you know, your HVAC systems, roof, windows, big bones of your house that I can't really just extract from walking through your house, those are really helpful conversations for me. So for the real estate agents that do watch our show and kind of follow us, uh, I think this is actually very poignant, mm-hmm. right? I think a lot of agents shy away from communicating or trying to be up front, like, you know, be part of that process. Yeah. But I think the best agents will either meet you at the house mm-hmm. and kind of give you what they think of the house. I think that's the proper thing to do. Yeah. Um, but you're, and you're saying that's a good thing, right? Yeah. Any data points help. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. if, the more data I have on your house, the more I can make adjustments for. If, if I'm just going through the house and, and I'm looking at the furnace and I see, well, you know, hey, it's, it looks like it's a fairly good condition. I can, or 
I don't know, uh, kitchens. Yeah. You know, aging kitchens, you know, if it's brand new, is it five years old, is it 10 years? All those points of depreciation can be, you know, really helpful in, in the market value. So, yeah. So what do you, what do you say to the guy and sell? We get this a lot. Mm-hmm. Hey man, I, I have the nicest house on the block and my basement, I put in a hundred thousand yeah. dollars in my basement. I've got this sweet sound system. I've got like, I put a million dollars in my backyard Dude, like your appraisal's way off. I put three hundred thousand dollars into this house, and you don't you you only appraise yeah. the house at three hundred. Yeah, I mean, um, for for things like that, with um, what we call those are kind of like over improvements. So, what does the market expect in your area? So, if you're putting in, you know, let's say you have a house that's three hundred thousand, mm-hmm. and you put a, a hundred twenty-five thousand dollars base in your house, is that typical for your area? Most likely not. So, are 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 buyers the average buyer in there? area, are they willing to pay that kind of top dollar for your basement? Right. Typically the answer is gonna be no. Yes, you may find a buyer who comes in and says, well, this is my the house I want and I'm gonna pay the extra premium for that. But we as appraisers, we don't look at that. We don't look for that one buyer that loves your house. We are looking for the buyer who's the, you know, the typical buyer in your area. Right. So that's how we kind of you know, every, everyone says they have the best house on the, in the market. Yeah, my house <laughs> is the best. Yeah, yeah. so it's you know, I, obviously, I always I always take that into account, and I, I I like try to extract as much information from those comments out as possible. Right. Um, but obviously, people put their bias on it, and I have to be in a pretty unbiased party going right. into this property. Well, and that's where those appraisal guarantees come in, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. And that's to me the only thing. Like, I don't think there's a solve for appraising necessarily to bridge that gap you were talking about earlier where people are looking in the past and realtors yeah. are looking in the future. It's it's all dictated by market demand and people who are actually willing to pay above and beyond appraised value to mm-hmm. create that new sold comp at the future value. Well, that's what's creating the increase yeah. in pricing. A lot of these appraisal guarantees, cash offers, where the appraisal is kind of removed from the equation, then that then, they, then they're going to spend from 30, the sales price. From yeah. the sales price, right? Do so. You- do you look for for those things in the contract before you go out to the house? Do you look and see is there an appraisal guarantee? How like how much research do I really need to do? <laughs> or, or is that not a fa- honestly? I'm generally curious. Um, I, I mean, to, but. yeah. So we do analyze contracts, but I always try to. I almost sometimes wish I look at them at the very end of the of the appraisal process. That way, it's kind of unbiased because I always say whenever someone says a number, let's say I say one hundred fifty thousand. In your head, you have one hundred fifty thousand. Yeah. You know, immediately. So yep. you're, you have some kind of indicator of value, which, you know, obviously we're not supposed to base off our appraisals, and we don't. But yeah. human nature, the human nature, there yeah, are there's, 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 there's always right. yeah. well, like part of me does not want to submit like concession addendums and things mm-hmm. until after you appraise it, because then it's like, <laughs> all right. Can you add the concessions to the appraisal yeah. as well? Well, actually, so right. like concessions, you know, they're, they're not the worst thing to have on, on the appraisal because if it's not affecting your market pr- or your contract price, mm-hmm. like if people are like, well, you know, hey, I'm here's the asking price, 150 we took their offer and we're just giving them concessions because of, uh, you know, repairs or something like that. Maybe it's not affecting your market price. Um, right. So it's not the end of the world to submit them right away. And just so the audience understands this, and uh, on a purchase transaction, mm-hmm. you do have access to the purchase price and the and the purchase contract. Correct. So uh, you know, a lot of times on a refinance transactions, it's zero. You're going blind. Like you don't know what you're getting. Yep. So, but on a purchase contract, the the appraiser, you in this case, you know the number that you're trying to get. And I have to believe uh, we're not trying poor to phrasing, yeah, right? Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, I, no. I know, I know. But the rea- this is I'm talking reality. I don't give a shit. So the reality is, like, you know what you're tr- what these people are trying to get, 
And I gotta believe that you don't want to give a low appraisal, but sometimes <laughs> you have to. Um, yeah. So the low appraisal—that's you know obviously the big term in the industry. <laughs> it's I, it, I, I tend to not like that term. This is an accurate appraisal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's in my opinion of market value. Right. I guess that's so it being low. I mean, I, I guess sometimes when I go out do an appraisal, obviously bringing in what you call a low appraisal, um, it causes way more work for me. Yeah. And stress. I mean, I get stressed. Don't worry. Like when I'm putting, hitting that submit button and it's low, it's, I can feel my stress level. Just, I'm like, Cause oh. you know, you're getting a call. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting a call. Sometimes you get angry calls. You're going to get the rebuttal. Yep. Um, which mind you sucks to put together. Yeah. That's the worst. <laughs> yeah. Like for rebu- our, our end, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Rebuttals. I wish there was a better way to do it. Sometimes they work. But yeah, sometimes they definitely do work. Um, I think there should be better processes for rebuttals. A lot of times what I do see in rebuttals is that I'm just sent a list of three to four comps. Right. Which is no explanation. Exactly. And that's what it is. I have no explanation. Okay. So tell me why. Tell the story. Yeah. Dude. Tell me this. Give me the story. Tell, give me a story that I can tell, you know, on the report that these comparables that you're sending me, why are they better than the ones I provided? Right. Um, so uh, obviously, I think I would say 90, 90% of the time I get comps that are just higher price just simply because of their higher price. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. and as loan officers, I mean, we have access to a lot of data, mm-hmm. but like the real estate agent has all the data in the MLS, which has, you know, the sold. The date, listing agent should know. know what that house so is worth pretty, pretty well. When an appraisal comes in. Yeah. Lower than what they wanted. Mm-hmm. That's a right? good way to put yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. There you I go. always say, hey, you know, no big deal. I'll fight this tooth and nail if you give me comps. Yeah. Right. And a lot of times they will supply me comps and let's say they give me three, maybe one of them is valid. Yeah. And it's like, okay, this makes sense. Uh-huh. Right. Like maybe we can squeeze another five, 10 K out of it. But like these other two are 15 years newer, <laughs> 500 square foot. They're larger, in a different school. Yeah. You know? And the, yeah, they're yeah. two miles away. Right. And we submitted to the appraisal management company, which is like the middleman between, you know, uh, the loan company. That's, who's, the, that's who speaks to you and on they our have, behalf. They right. have a chief appraiser who's like, yeah, I mean, I'll send them if you want, but like those two are yeah, like, I mean, I, trash. I, I like the word comps. Comps. Um, comps. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. All right. Let's talk about comps. Um, let, 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 let the audience know what a comp is. So a comp is a, is a listing that you compare to your subject property. That's similar it, in yeah. size and scope. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I think a, a lot of misconception is that people just assume that if a house is nearby, it's a comp. Right. Which is not true. <laughs> And it's right next door, dude. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, really what we, we like to do is as an appraiser is that uh, when I was, I guess when I was training, it was called, my, my manager called it Sesame Street. It's one thing like the other. Yeah. Um, so, you know. If, that's <laughs> that's exactly. good. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Exactly. All right. So is, is, is the comp you're supplying <laughs> like our subject property? So a lot of times I see people, they send over, let's say I have a ranch. Well, that's in, built we'll in 1970. <laughs> I'll get a colonial built in 1990. But yeah, it's yeah. on my street. Exactly. So is that really comparable? Are those two similar no. houses? No. no. So that's exactly. So that's what we're looking at. Like Sal looking? and I would be comps. You and I would not be comps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think where that becomes <laughs> like the same person. <laughs> where that would become difficult would be like, let's say, um, a, a a neighborhood with not a lot of recent sales. Yeah. right? And then you have a ranch. And then a colonial on the same street in, let's say, Huntington Woods, mm-hmm. but you're comparing ranches in Oak Park, right? Which I'm sure you would pull from like Berkeley or, or Royal Oak. Yeah, but yeah. It's, it's like it, it can be tough. And areas like that, if it's like Huntington Woods, um, you know, obviously we try to stay within the same school districts and then the same sub- – you, if you can stay within the same subdivision. Right. Um, when there's not a neighborhood conformity like that. So mm-hmm. like obviously when we're, we're appraising in 
war and St. Clair Shores, typically within that quarter mile or, or half a mile, yeah. everything's the same. But like I, I do a lot of appraisals out in St. Clair County. It's like, you know. There's like one house there's every one three miles, house right? It's five miles away. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a different market. It, so it, it just, it's really strange to, you know, pull those comparables from those areas. You just, you just try, if it's, if you have to go to different like level houses, you try to do similar construction styles, similar aesthetics on the outside, all those things like you take into account. So you said something interesting to me. It's, you said a, a comp is a listing. So when I, when we're getting rebuttals, I'm usually very picky and say mm-hmm. I need closed sales. Well, uh, yeah, I, I guess a closed listing. Sorry. Okay. Cause yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. you know yeah. how many times I'll get comps back to support mm-hmm. their value, but they're all listings. Like, yeah. N- nobody's bought that house yet. So it's not Has proven it its worth. And it could close up. It that could price close. Depending, yeah. But it's a different transaction. It's actually, um, listings are actually kind of a good indicators of where the market's going. So but you don't look at yeah we well I you know I don't will you report. consider to make those appreciation adjustments though if all the listings are at that same value so let's say you I, I you send me a couple listings and they you can you know you call the realtor up like hey I see you have a listing like can you give us the contract price sometimes they they'll be willing to give you that information to help you out. Yeah. yeah so like let's say it's like two thirty like well no actually we got a signed contract conventional for two thirty five and it appraised and it's closing blah blah blah. Right in a week. So what we can kind of do on the appraisal is that is like if we're near the top end of our sold comparables, is that we can use support from those active listings. Like you know, hey, this is what's currently sold, but the market's going this direction based on this information. Yeah. So it, it can provide support for market value. I've had one where recently it looked like in the comments in the rebuttal that I su- mm-hmm. had submitted, they evaluated that comp. And said that since it was multiple offer situation and the actual sales contract price was that, they did give a positive adjustment to our exactly yep. less than expected appraisal. Yeah. <laughs> so let me let me pose a question for you. So if any in any industry, there's good and bad, right? Yeah. There's some good loan officers and there's some bad loan officers. Yeah. Good real estate agents, bad bad real estate agents. In your opinion, are the majority of appraisers in this market like good? Or because I know you're good at it, I know you take the time. I mean, just from th- this conversation we're having, but there might be some appraisers out there that want to do thirty, forty, fifty appraisals in a month, and they're just banging through them, and they don't yeah. care. They, they're not really thinking <coughs> of the repercussions of it. Um, I think I think that's in every industry, you're right? Have your I, I think the majority of appraisers, I would I would hope over ninety five percent of them are, you know, uh, trying to do the try, right thing. Yeah, I don't think anyone goes out there trying to do a bad job. Right. Um, everyone's trying their hardest. They're not gonna, <laughs> yeah, just try this because everyone realizes the ramifications of a low appraisal or or what you consider a bad appraisal. Um, but you know, I've done some appraisal reviews in the past where you see appraisals and you just like you're blatantly ignoring data points. Yeah, and I think that's that can cause issues because that one appraisal and the sale goes through, and so now you have a comp. Well, that comp might have been artificially inflating the the price in the area, and that just if that starts to steamroll. Higher and higher, we we get these runaway markets, that, right? Which you know. which I've said in the past, like the, the appraisals and the appraisers in our in our process are necessary. Otherwise, you will have rampant impl- inflation to where like houses are selling for way over market, and people are overpaying, and then all of a sudden we're in a really bad spot where yeah. people, you know, the market's really overinflated. Mm-hmm. We are like appraisers um, are necessary in our process. Yes. Let me ask you one more question, that, and I, I kind of want to uh, move on to some topics, but. So there's, there's and, I, and I got this question the other day, and I and I have to pose it to you. Okay. So I had another loan officer friend of me of mine in the industry, and he goes, "Hey man, why like are Quicken Loans appraisals 
always lower than everybody else's. This is what his perception is, mm-hmm. right? And I've heard this multiple times in our industry. There's this perception that the company like has this different like pressure or some type of like conversation with the appraiser to say we need really tight appraisals, mm-hmm. right? Is that something that happens? Like, or is it, are you totally like devoid of that? Um, you should be totally devoid of that. I mean. Have you heard this? What I'm saying? I, actually, I have not. So okay. I'm, I'm kind of unfamiliar. Like, uh, I well, always I think there's a misconception among people that, that it's industry the, professionals that too. If you are right, well, specifically, you know, in the industry, uh, agents. Yeah. I yeah. mean, as a loan officer, I think that you should understand that that appraiser that you picked also does appraisals for other companies. Yeah. You know, if you did appraisals for one company, right? How how does that work? So I've I've heard a lot of times like with banks or credit unions mm-hmm. they have their own like in house they don't use an AMS uh, yeah. appraisal management company so they have their own team of appraisers I feel like there's more influence there um, actually so I'm on a couple direct lender list um, you you still kind of have they I think I'm not sure the exact setup but I, I believe they have their own HVCC departments yes mm-hmm. so that's kind of separate from the loan officer. What's the so, HVCC so the, so the audience understands? Uh, it was just a, I think it's been a ruling in from New York in, in yeah. 2008 yep. that would you know separate out the direct appraiser list on lenders. Right. So these lenders have their own kind of a departments to um, have a third party. Yeah. For for their to so basically officers. check everything. Right. Exactly. So. so like so again so the audience understands. I keep saying this because it is a kind of like yeah. a complicated thing. Um, an appraiser isn't married to like one company. Like, no, like right, like you're not like hired by Quicken to do appraisals for Quicken. You're not hired by United Wholesale to do appraisals. You're not yep. hired by Omega Lending to do uh, exactly you know, right. You're independent and you pick up business from all these different people. Yeah, right? I mean, I do. I know. I know there are some appraisers who just do work directly for Quicken Loans. Well, they don't work for, they don't work for Quicken Loans. They'll just take their deal. They yeah. just work for their an AMC that's kind of associated with Quicken Loans. Right, right. So that's just kind of, they have direct panels. And so the whole, you know, things are coming in low. That's maybe the deals that you're, maybe that's the right value. <laughs> you know, how do we, how well, do we I know I think that? they just do so much business, mm-hmm. right, that a lot of appraisals come in lower than expected and that's just the connotation yeah. they get. Like, they might do five deals with Quicken Loans as opposed to the one deal with Omega Lending, right? Yeah. And if the one deal with Omega Lending comes in and it's like, hmm, I don't know. Yeah, like, you me, always me remember the, the negatives. Let me play yeah. the devil's advocate on that because uh, I have gotten deals from Quicken potentially that they had, they had low appraisals. Mm-hmm. And they're like, listen, we had a low appraisal. I go, listen, you know, you had a low appraisal. I'll be very happy to do one through our company yep. uh, and see what happens. Sure. And know that like the chances are, you know, that it was probably a good appraisal. And sure as shit, we get the appraisal back and we get the value we needed, and, okay. it, and so like as a, as a real estate agent, they're like, "Well, screw them. They they got yeah. it right." But it's just a difference of opinion from yeah. two different people. Yeah, I that's, think right. the, that's the key well, thing. I mean, is I've that- had them come in low, and then I hear you know thirty days later, I went with you know this other uh, lender that the the agent recommended, and it came in seventy five grand higher. I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's <laughs> well, not the lender. Good luck opinion. selling that yeah. house. So that's <laughs> in the market. I think that's the frustration that people have a lot of times. Sometimes yeah. because what'll happen is they might get a low appraisal, especially if you're in industry. You're, you're a real estate agent. You get a low appraisal, and then you move the file, or you get another appraisal done. And we, you know, we as a broker, we can move and we can get multiple appraisals done if we absolutely have to. I hate doing it, yeah. but it happens. Like people are really adamant. 
And then you get the value that you're looking for, and then it's like, well, what the shit, man? Yeah. Like I – it should be like as standard as possible, but the reality, the absolute reality is it's an opinion of value, and you try to use data points, and people might use different data points, yep. and you, right? Like so like – in the market, how do you mitigate that difference of opinion when, like, it's so vast yeah. across the board? I mean, maybe we might need an industry shift on when we do the appraisal. Um, it seems pretty crazy to me that, you know, people are going out on the market spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, and then we give them the value after. It's like, okay, you guess what it's worth, and then we'll tell you what it's worth. You know, usually, let's say you go anywhere, you know, you're looking to buy a car or, or do any research on any kind of product, you're searching looking to figure out what it's worth before you actually go out and make that purchase. So with, with the home appraisal That's process, maybe there should be some kind of... So before the house hits the market, you got to get an appraisal. Or before you can take an two. offer. Yeah, let's say you get... Let's say there's like some kind wow. of clearinghouse or something that you put your house in and then you get two appraisals done and, and they kind of... You, you look at it and maybe there's a range and if you, you get a purchase price within that range... Then it works. Then it works. So, so as you long think as you, all you, lenders tapped into that clearinghouse... My mind yeah. just kind of got blown. Yeah. yeah. I mean, cause like, that's that's why, an appraiser That makes say, so much yeah, sense. It does make a lot of sense, yeah. actually. <laughs> it, it just sees why at the end become... We're the... You know, we have... Buyers, agents, listing agents, loan officers, title companies, people uh, moving, moving trucks on people. on ready, and like, then all, like two weeks before close, and guess what? We're twenty thousand yeah. dollars lower than your purchase. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. That's a, I think that's the that biggest is a really bad process when yeah. you put it like that, right? Yeah. I think that's the biggest stress point generally yeah. in the transaction. Oh yeah, What's for both sides, for all parties involved, really. For sometimes man. it's an unknown factor. You know, I'm it's just the biggest unknown. I'm this this phantom figure coming out to the property, I guess is a good way to say it. Yeah, nobody really sees hey, you. Yeah, you're you're, you're, you're either an angel or a Grim Reaper, bro. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Some people just... love me sometimes, some people hey, really I mean, don't. It has nothing to do with who you are. Yeah, so it's... <laughs> <laughs> I see it becoming automated like a, a variance, right? Well, I wanted to bring that, that up. That's Ooh, coming, yeah. I wanted to bring that up. Yeah. You know, like, uh, it would be hard, though, I think, to coordinate um, the real estate side of things along with their lender, mm-hmm. you know, because what if, you know, I guess, how do you argue that, right? You have basically anyone who wants to buy this house that comes in, you know, uh, 10K high, that's got to be cash above and beyond. The lenders won't lend it. Right. Which or, I guess would well, be. Well, that a, would be good because, you know, you, the market's sped up. So you go, well, this is what we know a, a mortgage company. Let's say all the lenders came together and said, okay, from these two appraisals, we'll lend within that range. Mm-hmm. And then if you wanted to bring cash up where you're going to, push the market up because there's more demand. Well, I suppose they could similar. rebuttal it before that it actually hits the market, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess if you had two appraisals. Li- but of, to, yeah. to, every, to his point, to, to Kevin's point, it makes a lot of sense to say, hey, let's get the appraisal done up front so we know what we're doing yeah. so we're not setting people up for failure. Exactly. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in our system that's broken, but that's a pretty big thing. So yeah. I see a lot of complications with how the system is set up where like... Our we, system's stupid. But I'm saying like... The whole if, thing. If, so we can't take an appraisal that Quicken Loans had ordered for them, yep. right? Quicken's the client. They own, they the own that appraisal. We can't use it. So that would be a major industry shift, not only to make it happen up front, mm-hmm. but have it be a blank client that is universal yeah. anyone can take. That'd be ma- how do we? How would someone start that to push that and make that change? I mean, I don't even know where. <sighs> I mean, I, I guess. Where would I go? So like uh, the appraiser's job, like going out to the property, yeah, we're collecting data points, but. Um, I don't think that's my main skill. My main skill is analyzing data. Um, So me being in the office is way more valuable to the industry as a whole than me going out to a house to inspect them. So I think what we'll see the next five to 10 years is that we'll start seeing companies pop up that will service um, data 
data collection at the home. So they'll send out an inspector that will be, you know, collecting data points. And then that report will be sent to an appraiser, which right now we are actually, you know, Fannie, I think there's That's some what I wanted to guidance, talk about, yeah. is that there's guidance out there that says, you know, they allow third party in- inspectors that if the appraiser deems the data reliable, they can use on the, on in lieu of an interior inspection. So, but you know, it's, it's going to be definitely a monumental shift to, to get all those data points that are accurate and yeah. that an appraiser deems reliable. I mean, you're going to have to talk about interior condition, you know, all those potential issues, foundations, roof, and then the biggest thing, the lot, you know, your lot is where you are, location, noise levels, street conditions. Uh, you know, there's, there's so many different factors that go into it that will have to be, you know, disseminated to that appraiser, but uh, it definitely is possible. Yeah. Just like everything else in our industry, everybody wants to remove the human element a lot of times right now. Never like, happened. Right. Well, hold on. Uh, so th- there are things it does, right? Hold up. Let me finish. Yeah. So like appraisal waivers on deals, right? So just so the audience knows, sometimes when you run a deal through Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, they'll come back and say, we don't need an appraisal on this house because they feel comfortable with that, that value. Yep. That's almost a disservice to if it's a purchase to the buyer, though, because now they're paying. But everybody's for happy about it. Oh, absolutely. Oh, everybody's like, oh, absolutely. I don't have to do an appraisal, but right? But still, you don't know what, what you're buying what it's worth they don't care i, I get it but it's a, it's a disservice because yeah. you could be overpaying well yeah when, t- when times are good yeah it's all fine but then the second something let's say eventually yeah, the, the, re- the recession yeah we'll we'll yeah. come back and be like oh you screwed me you gave me the high appraisal and right you know what happens yeah so so, it, so we are seeing potentially more automation in the in the appraisal process Fannie Mae is really working hard to get rid of the appraisal process it seems like they just seem to be just trying to like Try to cut it out, cut it out as much as possible because they. I don't know why, but like they, it would be weird if I was Fannie Mae. Why I wouldn't want my money protected with an appraisal, but they want to. They're just basically saying we don't need them. Um, I, I guess what I've heard from other you know, appraisers I've spoken to is that Fannie's strictly said that they're they're not trying to cut out appraisers. But I mean, they are. And I, I know right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they really are, but they are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. It's definitely going to be a shift over the next, like I said, I think five to ten years of what's going to happen. But I don't think we should ever eliminate the in-home and you know data point collection. I mean, maybe it could be automated by computer, you know, because I'm sure if someone writes a program, you can compare way more data points and extract way more you know value from that. Right. But then it's not. I mean, right on the appraisal <laughs> report, it says this is an opinion of value. Yep. It's not really an opinion anymore. It's it's because it's not a human behind it. You well, know, I think a that machine they can't more have an or less opinion. Standardize yeah, the value. Yeah, AI's AI's getting. I think that good. I see it going towards because I mean you have to think doing this thirty years ago versus now the amount of data collected. You know, just specifically in the past few years, even with collateral underwriter, right? Yeah. Um, I feel like most homes are probably sold and bought within. You know, five six years. I think it's what like a seven year average. Yeah. So we have um, all this data of homes of what they sold for seven years ago, what they're selling for now, two, three, ten years, whatever, right? And I think that they're going to come up with a, more of a standard, like a standard value with variances based upon those interior inspections, like the yeah. the finishings, things of that sort, which may or may not give you like a a. a on the lot, like on the dot number mm-hmm. for a purchase price oh, or an appraised value, but maybe like a, a range where, hey, if if the sales price falls within this here, you're good, and That's it's just gonna, point. and it might not even tell you what it is. It might be like DU, where like it thumbs says up, like, thumbs down, thumbs yeah. up, thumbs down. That's another thing. Like the appraisal report, fail. Yeah. you know, and if it fails, you can rebuttal it. Yeah, 
I mean, the thing is with appraisal, but, we have to we have to give a single point of value right, right. on every single one. So is that is that really can is any appraiser out there that good? To, no, to pin down a, a except single, for you. like within. The, you I are, mean, yeah. I am. Yeah, but, you um, are. Yeah, you are. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why, like on most appraisals, what I try to do is I try to give, based on my adjustments, uh, the range of value in the report. And so typically, you know, unless there's a you know clear cut, three of them are the exact same adjusted value. If you fall within that range, typically that market value is supported on the appraisal report. Mm-hmm. So that's you know for me that's it's a good safety net because okay. You know, so mo- moving to automation though, how. How would they solve for, like you said, when, when you get that call from the agent with all these data points or things that you wouldn't have been able to find out, even you walking through the house, a, a computer's not going to be able to get those data points. A computer's um, not going to know that. Right? But if they create a standardized report that has those data points lined out, age of roof, age of where it's mandatory to collect those points. And it's, and it's housed in a data data warehouse. Yes, that, that, that would work. That, that standardized. You know, let's, let's say you go through a house. You know, you build a report. You know, you build go through every room, build like you know, you type in what kind of flooring, right. what's the condition is it, the walls condition, everything like that. So if you can supply that to let's say a database, and you know, one day someday they can automate it. They'll have enough points right. to do. So. All right, so we got We got to move on because we, we're running out of time. Oh, okay. we gotta, I know we can talk about appraisals all day, but we got we really got to talk about some other <laughs> stuff. Oh, no, good. You good? You want to move to tariffs? Tariffs. Not yet. Okay. I'm not going tariffs yet. So more more Americans are quitting their jobs. This was like a headline on CNBC. Really? And it's a good thing is what they said, which is really interesting to me because people are feeling confident enough in the market and the economy that they feel like they can either leave their job and get another one, right? So like like when you when you feel the economy is you know, stressed and you might not be able to find another job, yeah. people don't move, right? They're, they're like, I'm, I got to stay in this really toxic environment just so I can make a paycheck, right? Right. I mean, quitting your job does not necessarily equate to unemployment. No, right? you're quitting to upgrade. You're quitting to go do a better environment. You're quitting to start your own business, right? So there's a lot of that happening right now, which I think is a great indicator for our market. When I read the headline at first, I was like, that's bad. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. oh, that, that can't be good. Everybody's quitting their jobs. But they could be quitting their job and moving to the Bahamas. Who knows? That sounds nice. Right? <laughs> I mean, I, I just, it's, it's interesting to me yeah. that, like, people feel that good about the economy right now. Well, I'm doing a lot of pre-approvals right now for people who last year didn't qualify or even earlier this year. And it's like, man, you know, they had three or four different jobs and they were making mm-hmm. the same money even. But then they, like, they quit all those jobs yeah. and now they have one where it's like, all right, That's now I'm making the same or more money as I was before, and awesome. hey, here's your pre-approval letter. It's always good news. So yeah. that's what I think is our our in our market right now. We always talk about a lot of factors that could affect it. You know, the market's really hot right now. People are like, is it overheating? Yeah, right. And the reality is, as long as that job market stays stable, I believe that we're not going to change in our demand for housing, and we're going to stay on this course. I think that's the only thing right now, in my opinion, that could really affect the housing market, where if jobs are strong, we're okay, mm-hmm. right? People are making money. People are able to like move up, quit their jobs, get more raises, whatever it may be. You know, As rates go up, people are like, oh, rates are going up, and that's going to really affect the, the people's buying power. It's not necessarily true because people no. are getting better jobs. They're making an extra yeah. $100, $200 a month. So if their payment's an extra $100, $200 more a month, it doesn't affect them the exactly. same way, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the only thing I could see affecting um, housing pricing right now is if that we have a increase of listings. But right now, we obviously, we know there's very low supply. So let's talk about that. What's yeah. going to How are we going to get an increase of listings? And, and even if we do, will it still satisfy the demand? I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. You know, the building startups right now, they're more t- 
geared towards the high end, and, and the demand seems yeah. towards yeah. New, new construction houses four hundred k minimum, yeah. right? Well, and I think people who are in you know their homes and have been for a while have been afraid to make that jump. So I think that you know an an influx of income for them, whether it's a new job or a uh, you know a raise at work or they're making more money, might say, uh, "Well, I was at three point eight seven five, and now I'm ready to pay five. I don't care." I want well, to move. This could you also know, making the money to do it. It's all about jobs, dude. That's how yeah, I feel I mean, about it. But then for the let's say people who bought pre two thousand eight, <laughs> yeah, you know, this could still be the hangover from that. Right. You know, are are you just saw it, you're, you're you're kind of finally just getting jaded, equal bad, or yeah, above yeah. water, and you're like, well, if I move now. Would do am my, I going to screw myself? Exactly. Again? I'm, right. Am I setting myself back another? It's like after having a bad relationship, you're like, I don't know if I'm jumping exactly. in that boat again, right? So it's like you just want to be the single house out in the market, you know? Right. You're right. What? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like some people have the mentality of of trying to plan through that, and you know, I feel like that's very hard to to time and judge, right? Unless you know shit has hit the fan and everything's at the bottom. Like, what are you going to do? You know, you don't really know if if the the ground you're walking on is solid or not. So just do what you have to do because if you sink, you're sinking with everyone. Exactly. If right. you want to move, move you know? because it's, yeah. it's a home and it's always hard. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Another thing that's happening right now, you sent me this article the other day. Yeah. It's – dude uh, – Americans right now are sitting on trillions of dollars of equity, right? Yeah. All these homes, like if you bought a house, even like I'll give you an example. Like this is crazy to me, but I was talking to you about this yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I bought my house for three ninety. It appraised for three eighty when I bought it. I paid ten k. I had an appraisal guarantee. I, I really crazy. felt like I overbought for the area, but I I wanted the house, right? There's a house with my exact layout. The only difference is it does have a walkout basement, which we talked about. Yeah. It sold for three uh, four sixty five. A year later. Fifteen percent. That's a lot. Of, that's a lot. That's a big increase. So imagine if, if people if in that neighborhood bought you three years refi. ago. What you need to refund? <laughs> Shut up. No guy. Uh, like <laughs> let's say they bought three years ago and they bought for three hundred. Let's yeah. say hypothetically, and they could sell that house for four sixty. That's a hundred sixty five thousand dollars of equity. A, how do they tap into that without moving? Yeah. Right. And B, it makes it really hard not to want to move and get that money out and do something with it. Right. Yeah. I mean, so. Like, what's going to happen with all this equity that's just sitting in this in, in these people's homes right now? You know, people don't want to refinance because they have a three point eight seven five interest rate. They're going to go to five, right? So how do how do people touch that equity? I think people are going to get over the interest rate HELOC. very soon because people, yeah, there's going to be HELOCs are going to be yeah. coming back. Americans have what are HELOCs, by the way? They're home equity lines of credit. So it's a second mortgage or a second lien on your house. It's like a credit card, a line of credit. It's connected to your home, right? It's connected to your house. So you're using you're using your house as a credit card, basically. Right. Um, but I think you're going to see those. Americans have an enormous amount of credit card debt. It's it's astronomical. So I think you're going to do see, have a lot of credit. You're going to see a lot of people right. tapping into that equity. Uh, maybe if it's not a HELOC, they're going to tap in to either do a first lien refi. Or to take out a second fixed, uh, I think you're going to see fixed seconds come back, cash out, refis to pay off some uh, some debt. Yeah, the market start tapping yeah, in to, yeah, to get out of debt. I mean, there, there will be vehicles. I, I guarantee you. Here's what's going to happen: lenders and people that like create like their, their the loan programs are going to come out with stuff to be able to tap into that equity because there's a lot of money in there that people want to get out. Yeah, right. And you can't get it out unless you refinance or sell. And potentially there might be different avenues that are going to be coming out to be able to touch touch that money because there's it's going to be lucrative for everybody involved. 
once uh, the conversation starts with how high credit card interest rates are and, and why are you sitting on all this, why are you bitching about a 5% interest rate when you have 10 credit cards and for $80,000 that you're paying 29% yeah. interest the, the, on? I mean, the difficult it's, thing it's with a current first lien mortgage, right, is that you have to have 20% down. Right. Right? Or 80, uh, 20% equity is the maximum max you can, you can go up. up right? Yeah. So with that being said, uh, that'll change. Most Watch. people with a ton I've, of credit card debt I've probably didn't put 20% down either. So if, if I had to bet, I, if I had to bet right now, I would bet a lot of money that lenders are going to come out with cash out products to go up to 90%, yes. 95%. Because the refi market's drying up. Yep. The only reason people are refinancing right now is if they get divorced or they want to pull cash out. And if they can't pull cash out past 80% of the value, then what's the point of doing it? Yeah. So I I promise you there will be products that are going to be coming out that will allow you to to, to ransack your equity, which scares me a little bit. But it, it's going to be – it's going to happen. <laughs> that – I'm okay with that as long as there's an appraisal. I don't want to see. I'm not okay very with much. It, man. I'm I'm okay with that as opposed to stated income, stated assets, just giving money away. If people want to use their equity, and, and they're going to pay for it with an interest rate, there, there's a risk there. That one takes. of the problems it we had sense. in the past was people were using their their equity in their house as like a, a safety net so they could rack up more debt. And then what happened? But that I, was you know how many times I did this in my career. I paid off people's debt. I really saved their lives. I saved them four, five, six, seven hundred dollars a month. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they call me a year later. And they're like, dude, <laughs> uh, put a pool in. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> Use your money wisely. Yeah, I need some more money, buddy. Uh, and I'm like, well, you've got the equity. Uh, do you really want to do? It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really need to lower my payments, man. Yeah. Well, as long as they sold before the crash, they walked away scot free. Right. But most didn't. So, <laughs> yeah. real quick, but a lot of that came with coupled with uh, inflated values too. So. True. Right. Right. There's a lot there's of more protection. There's a lot of that. So tariffs. Uh, there's a list of another two hundred million dollars worth of tariffs. Billion. So, billion. Sorry. Two hundred billion dollars worth of tariffs <laughs> that we're putting on China. China was like, "Go f yourself. We're going to do this." So it's like this. Like none of this is actually enacted yet. So we haven't no. really felt it because it's got to go through a process. Well, it's all threats until they decide on it, right? They're, well, they so did. They? It's got to go through a process. So like they're starting the process of putting these tariffs on. People that are exporters are not comfortable with this. You know, uh, people that are importing uh, are like, you know, my my goods just went up. This could potentially like a, a trade war with the, the the biggest or second biggest economy. In the, I mean, this is two behemoths kind of going like, ha, screw you, no, screw you, no, screw you, screw you. Yeah. And then it's like a little pushing, and then like it could become a Boxing big man. problem, right? Do you think though that if importing a good that was so cheap to import because of its quality and and whatnot? Uh, yeah, they've got fourteen-year-old kids making right. it. Right? Do you think that if the cost of it becomes equal to or or you know less than building it here, that right. that's a bad so that, thing? That's right? The, right, right. Do so you think like, that's like the end like goal or mindset? Well, that's but that's the problem though. A lot of things in order to build it here. We still have to import that stuff, yeah, which raises the price what you of don't understand, what people don't understand about this. Yeah, we can screw with China, and we're not happy about their products. Here's what, as if I'm an importer, and that product from China is now 10 percent more expensive, but I can go to Venezuela and get the same product at the 10 percent discount. All I'm doing is switching my my, my shop instead of shopping at China. Yep. I'm going to shop in Venezuela. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. So th- <laughs> that's the problem. Like you can, you can create this trade war, but if I'm an importer. I'm just going to change what store I shop at, yeah. right? Instead yeah. of going to Sam's Club, I'm going to go to Costco. Yep. I both. Oh. I like Sam's better. It's less congested. Really? I love Costco. Yeah. The Costco's mm. – you go in there and it's like a million people in there. So anyways, my point, my, <laughs> point, stuff, my point with all this is, yeah, they're just like arguing and the reality is the real people that like are going to be like affected 
are just going to shop somewhere else. Yeah, they're not going to deal with it. They're not. Uh, we're, right. we're not going to buy from the United States anymore. We're going to buy from Russia. Right. We're going to buy from someone will match. The, someone else will match it and say, "Well, we'll do it." Yeah. yeah. There's right. always someone willing you know, to do right? it cheaper. Right. Wouldn't you agree with that? Well, I mean, it's it already happened. depends, though. If if our country will allow imported goods from from that country, you know, because they can also regulate that. It's not. Even, it's it, not about us, though. It's about if they're buying from us, and we're trying to to. To tax them on it, they're going to say, "All right, well, we're just not going to buy from you anymore. We're going right. to buy from somewhere else." So it's not just our consumers that are going to get affected; it's our workers. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens with all of this. Yeah, but I personally think our economy is strong enough where we can where we can afford higher prices on like on like those little rubber band bracelets and like dog leashes. Like that was on the list. Like a dog leash, they're going to tear off a dog leash because they're so cheap. Just yeah. think how much cheap shit you buy that just goes in the trash, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, stop buying. I that. hope that somehow this affects bad iPhone cords that break oh, after man. like three or four times. So many you use of them, it. dude. So many. Every just, ever walk into a gas station and they've got all these like trinkets, <laughs> and you know they're all from like you just want to like, smash them all. Yeah, Cigarette like, lighter, like, USB so plug. Yeah. yeah, like there's all Along these trinkets. With the, you're I like, dude, I want to trash. Who buys that? Who's walking hey, those I've bought a couple in the past yeah. just because I'm Dude, in a pinch. I don't have one. You got to use it, right? Yeah. Well, then it's hard not to – like, why? It's disposable. It's yeah. three cents to I buy know. whatever it is. And Fun it's little right. gadgets. And, well, right. and that's kind of where most goods have gone is is disposable. Yeah. Shit, my blender doesn't work. Well, I'll, I'll go, go in the trash one. and go to Costco. Yeah, nobody know? creates they're quality th- products 30 anymore, bucks. man. Well, yeah, it's, it costs more to repair than it is just to buy a brand new one. A hundred percent. Your TV breaks? New You're one. not fixing it. your TV, no, bro. No. You're going out because it costs you 400 bucks to get it fixed. Because the parts you aren't held here because they're not made here. Yeah. Right. right? There is no repair shops right. because – I do like the idea – and obviously this is like a, like a fan – like of America buying American and like creating yeah. like a like – a, like a Solid goods. Right. I mean like a 50s utopia of, of manufacturing Correct. here, right? But – it's just not. We'll just have to see. Yeah, I mean, no. we've already gone. We're globalized. Uh, it's, really. not, yeah. it's not. It's We're not beyond happen. that. Way so, beside. last thing I have for you guys: there was a report out uh, that that rank, ranked the worst and best roads in the country. And guess yes. who Who's has the worst? Michigan. Ring Michigan, <laughs> Detroit. Actually, the Metro Detroit area. We good, have good for us. We won absolutely so bad, the man. worst roads in the country. So, for those of you outside of Detroit. Feel very good about your roads, even as bad as you think they are. Our roads are the shittiest. Yes, they're so bad. Und- I don't undeniable get it. now. What I don't understand. Too. Here's what I don't understand. You're always doing construction. <laughs> always. You're always doing construction. Fix the roads. <laughs> fix the roads and just fix it. Pot for potholes. It's so weird, dude. It's Come so soon. weird. Like they say, oh, it's the ice. Well, guess what? I went up to the UP that has a lot of ice. The roads are really nice because <laughs> they don't salt them. You're right. They put like that dust stuff on Sand. it. Sand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the dust. What I will say about Metro Detroit, though, is that in a snowstorm, I mean, no one is like, I, I mean, yeah, people drive slow and whatnot, but like, shit keeps moving. Yeah. Like, people are going to work after 10 inches of snow or, or a foot of snow. Yeah, dude. Yeah. You go to California, are out there just though. working. You go to California, it rains, and there's traffic jams. It's, it's moving until the one guy's moving you know what's too always fast funny to me? and stops everyone. It's yeah. so funny to me when people are like, oh, it snowed. Two inches in Georgia, and there was fourteen crashes. Yeah. It's like it's two inches, dude. We just got hit with twelve. We're, we're going eighty-five, and the cars so. there are the same. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Jessica, what do you think? How do you think our roads are? <laughs> They're the worst. They're <laughs> the worst. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't. I guess I didn't realize how bad. I would look at this They're report. So I'm like, who's Listen, the worst? If you are leasing or buying a new car, get those. Uh, get the wheel and tire pack. Yes, oh, seven. 
Yes. Everyone thinks it's a sucker, not in Michigan. Oh, I got Get one. Get it. Same right. you. Yeah, well, yeah I've grand. replaced many a tire. That, that's yeah, what we yeah, got, yeah. guys. So uh, how do how do we find our? We're like on uh, the Podcast Detroit app and podcast. You can get us on iTunes, SoundCloud, 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 Stitcher, Stitcher. Podbean, Podbean, Jeez. Google Play, uh, the, oh, subscribe, Google Play. like all the places. Love us, Facebook Live, Facebook Live. We're on it right now. I think there's like one person watching. Yeah, For right. all our 14 uh, audience <laughs> audience members out there, we really appreciate your support. Share, uh, share <laughs> please share us. We'd like to get the 30. Let's double it. Uh, surprisingly, a lot of people listen to us. It's kind we of, do. Yeah, it's really. It's weird. kind of a weird thing to watch. Oh, nobody wants. Nobody should be watching us. Actually, yeah, which I'm, is why I don't really care if I wear this. You look odd always. Yeah, I mean, I don't care. Uh, nobody watches. So, Kevin, thank you so much for being Thanks on the show. Me. Usually, I'd give people out your information, but I mean, yeah, you do you really know. want people calling you? No, I don't. No. <laughs> so, uh, 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 great friend of the firm, Salvatore. I love you immensely, well. Bradley. I love you. I love you. Not as much as Sal. Uh, oh, thank man. you, everyone. Jessica, thank you so much. Uh, we are out.